Hello, friends. Welcome to Brew Theology, a podcast from the community at Denver Pub Theology. I'm sitting here tonight with some of my friends. I've got Alex and Liz, Megan and Janelle. This is a, a little bit of a review from last week's topic on feminism. And so every other week we'll talk about these topics in a smaller setting. We're going to be drinking some Hopalicious beer. So what are you drinking tonight, Alex? Uh, this is Magic Hat's Stealing Time. It's a ginger wheat. It's delicious. Some of us aren't drinking beer. <laughs> what are you drinking, Liz? Well, you know, we're in, in the living room, and so I've really, um, I'm in my comfort zone, so I'm having a glass of milk and some cookies. <laughs> Did you hear that, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having an Angry Orchard cider. And so am I. Awesome. So we're going to do a little brief intro, and then we'll get to the goods. Uh, my name is Ryan Miller. I grew up Southern Baptist Evangelical about 18 years ago. I stopped being a Baptist, and now I would consider myself a post-evangelical, evolving, Anabaptist method, Jew-costal follower of Jesus, wow. but we don't have time to tackle that. No, we do not. <laughs> Alex, you're up next. Uh, my name is Alex. I grew up uh, in a pretty conservative culture, evangelical, um, and got out of that pretty quickly, as soon as I could, and went to college. Um, still a Christ follower, still enjoy Jesus and his teachings, but trying to, uh, to, to rescue some of that from the culture that I don't particularly care for at this point in my life. That's me. So I'm Liz, and uh, I was, uh, my parents used to drop me off at Sunday school every week, and then when I got older, I started taking myself to church, and, uh, and I was a devout Christian all by myself in my family. Um, until I was 17 and then I became an atheist and I was an atheist until I decided that atheism wasn't spiritual enough and started dabbling in Buddhist thought which I had been introduced to from a variety of places and uh, was became interested in uh, serving the community and uh, got reintroduced to Christianity uh, through my friends and but now if you ask me I would consider myself a Buddhist and I'm still an atheist so uh, that's where I'm coming from. Um, I'm Megan. I was raised in an evangelical family. Um, then in like my early tween years, I read, got really into reading religion about religions and um, kind of was a closet atheist. Then I converted to Mormonism and was um, a solid believer um, until recently. And now I am just figuring things out and exploring um, the realm of what is spirituality. My name is Janelle, and I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene, and up until a few years ago, I was also in ministry in the denomination. Um, we moved to Colorado a few years ago and attended an independent church, and since then, um, I would label myself a progressive Christian. Uh, I really love having a wider view of how Jesus impacts our world and brings about new creation, and uh, Love being part of pub theology and also have a small house church in my home. All right, thanks, guys. And just to let you guys know, or I should say you guys because I'm going to get in trouble later on tonight. <laughs> you peoples, yeah. you humans, y'all, as we would say in the great state of Texas. Denver Pub Theology does gather every week at a local brewery, and we have a new topic with beer, kombucha, and some drink water. And so... We will say that all drinks matter, including my Escape to Colorado IPA that I'm drinking right now. Enough about beer. Let's get down to the topic, all right? You guys ready? 
Ready? Let's hear some excitement. Are you ready? Come on now. Okay, so Janelle wrote this topic, and we're going to read a little bit of this, and then she's going to guide us through some of the questions. So this is titled Feminism and Unconscious Bias. Little disclaimer. Unconscious bias seems simple, but challenges the way people see their world and challenges the idea that we are primarily defined by the conscious decisions that we make. It can be uncomfortable to admit bias, so please go easy, listen a lot, be real. We can be a little feisty, but be be respectful. All things are on the table. And now let's read the material. All right. Contrary to our normal narrative of rational, intentional decisions, our our brain functions primarily as pattern matchers. Similar items get grouped together and shuffled off into long-term storage or ignored. There's too much data in our day-to-day world to think about every single thing we encounter. So our brain works behind the scenes to filter out what requires our action and what can be discarded. For example, wherever you are right now, stop and notice the noises, movements, and sights you are essentially ignoring. Is the air conditioner running? Are there birds chirping, car noises, or music in the background? Are there people walking past you? These are all the kinds of things that your brain takes care of automatically. In the same way, we see patterns in society and develop associations early in life, generalizations that make the world make sense. One of our recent affirmations of this fact is found in emerging AI systems, computer machine learning. These systems create their own patterns by inputting lots of human data. Recent research shows that these programs find and learn the same biases we have. One of the topics that is currently circling the interwebs right now is related to the election. For the first time in U.S. history, a major party has nominated a woman candidate for president. And while as a culture this should be celebrated as a huge step forward, that is not the way many people are responding. In several conversations I have witnessed, many people, mostly guys, sorry, say that if it were any other woman, then they wouldn't have a problem voting for her. And while that is true for some people, this is a plain example of how unconscious bias, and specifically gender bias, seeps into our systems and language. The truth is, voting for a woman for president just doesn't make sense to a lot of people. We can find lots of reasons and use some statistics, but what we see is really the expression of a function deep in our brains. When we see the word president, our brains automatically fill in the blank with male. Statistics show that women and men interview for the same job blindly and ask for extra compensation or bonuses. When the interviewers find out their gender, they were 28% less interested in hiring the female candidate. They also judged her as 27% less likable. The challenge when confronting these biases is that the more we know other people have biases, the less likely we are to try to change them in ourselves, which is in and of itself a cognitive bias. Uh, When we find out other people have biases too, changing ourselves almost doesn't seem so important. We are seeing this response in children as they are watching abuse go mainstream in the election, like current concerns with kids as they watch Donald Trump. Other studies show that uh, these biases biases are so entrenched that as the number of women in a profession grows, the compensation actually goes down. After all, if a woman can do it, it can't be that complicated or important, can it? 
Change begins with us. There are steps we should take to change unconscious gender biases. Uh, the aware of bias in your workplace, your school, your place of worship. Pay attention. Work to change it through education and making others aware. Adding new people doesn't mean you're eliminating bias. Educate everyone. You see it, say something. Take action. Step up, uh, set up, sorry, set up checks and balances for bias around you. Speak up when you see it. Advocate for those who have no voice and for those that are being abused and sidelined. If this is a new topic for you, one of the places you can go to kind of learn more about unconscious bias is The Hidden Brain, which is on NPR. Uh, Shankar Vedatam is the author of that book, and he also has his own podcast. Um, that's a great way to enter into learning more about uh, what we face when we deal with unconscious bias. Um, one of the things we do at Denver Public Theology is we have some guidelines for our discussion, and the first one is that no soapboxes are allowed. No one person get or viewpoint gets the last word. The second is that we respect all others and their viewpoints. The third is that we extend courtesy by listening well. Number four is that everything is up for discussion, and our friend Liz has added two more that she usually includes in her guidance. Sure, so um, it's not going to happen here because we're a bunch of friends, but uh, when the pub theology is open to the general public, what we don't want to try to get is that if, if you have a question, uh, someone says something and you want to question it, it's, it's probably best to ask the question to the whole group instead of bearing down on that person and saying, well, why do you think that? Why do you think that? So trying to open up those questions... Um, well, Liz, group, why, do, why do you say that? Why do you? I'm just... yeah, right. <laughs> um, and this doesn't, this doesn't apply to the podcast because you're going to get to know all of our intimate secrets, but uh, typically we keep confidentiality at the table. So if you hear this over the podcast, uh, don't tell anyone else. But we won't throw the rest of you guys <laughs> under the bus. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, right. So and so last week said that. Yeah, yeah. So, so there, when we look at this topic, there are some really awesome resources out there and available. And one of those was a uh, little set of cards that talks about basic biases that might affect us in our day-to-day -day life. And so um, for the podcast, what we're going to do is just share with you uh, which ones um, were affecting us uh, when we were choosing them at the table. So for me, uh, the first, the one that I chose was risk aversion. And often sometimes when we're risk averse, that means that we are, we want to do the safe thing. We want to protect ourselves. And so if I'm making a choice about what to do in life or a situation that I'm entering into or something, I'm going to probably choose the one that's the, the safest. And that in and of itself means that I often don't do the things that might give me the biggest reward because they're scary. Um, and so that's just something that informs who I am as a person and it's something I have to be aware of when I'm making big choices. And I picked confirmation bias, that we tend to listen only to information that confirms our preconceptions. And so one of the reasons why it's hard for people to really get into the discussion about climate change, and for me, I, you know, growing up, I remember hearing the same stories over and over again, and we listened to a lot of Rush Limbaugh here and there with some people. Ooh. And so I know, I know, a little Rush in the house. Went there, get that went right. there. <laughs> so there was a lot of confirmation bias. Yeah. yeah, that I can look back and see that. Yeah, I. So one of the cards I identified with uh, was recency, and that's basically putting. Uh, giving more weight to the latest piece of information about an argument that you've heard. So um, giving more weight to the most recent study or giving more weight to 
um, the latest book you read on a topic, even though it could be completely false, uh, or not the full picture, part of me thinks like it's the latest and greatest thing, so it has to be right. Um, so yeah, it, I don't know how that relates to gender right now, but it probably yeah, does. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> so, so the one I picked um, was uh, bandwagon effect, um, especially as it relates to things like unconscious bias or um, stereotyping in society, um, which basically means that you do it because everyone else around you is already doing it. And um, there's some real key uh, social and empathetic factors involved in that. Um, and it can make it too so that uh, it makes it hard to speak up against when you're uh, speak up against something where you don't believe what the group is already saying. Um, it makes it hard to to say, "Hey guys, you know, I don't agree with this, or I think we should do something different." However, I remember reading that studies show that bandwagon effects can be very easily broken by one person stepping in and breaking the pattern. Um, one person doing that can actually change the whole group mind thing, but the risk is there that uh, you're going to be going against the grain, going against the group. So, um, And the one that I identify with is salience. Um, it's the tendency to focus more on things that are easily recognizable, um, kind of in a negative way. So like you can look at one thing, like for example, um, dying, someone might worry about being mauled by a lion, um, even though a car accident is more likely to happen. And I do that, and it kind of ties into what Janelle said um, a bit about taking the easy way, I think sometimes, or not the easy way, the safest way. Um, I think a lot of people do this as well, so they're more prepared um, in their minds, at least the rationale is, oh, well, I'm more prepared if I maybe think of the worst. And so, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like you can say, oh, well, I'll probably just hope for the worst because then I'm not disappointed, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. what can get worse than the worst? Yeah, worse so. yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of people do that. So um, after we talked about these cards, we had um, a little riddle that we asked, and there's an article, I think, in The New Yorker about this. Um, but the, the question is this. Uh, so a father and son are in a tragic car accident, and the son is rushed off to the hospital for surgery the surgeon opens the door and looks in and says, I can't do surgery on this this person. This is my son. Who is the surgeon? And so as we sat there at my table, it was silent for several seconds, as it might be in your head. And then one of the uh, people kind of went, well, wait, wait, it's the mother. Now, you would think that that would be an automatic response, that we would automatically be able to name if the father was in the accident and the mother is the surgeon. But generally, when people are asked this question, their brain pattern matcher kicks in, and they can't figure it out because surgeons, for most of us, are male. Um, what are, I'll just ask the group here, what are some other like careers or positions in our world that we associate with a certain label? So I actually have a funny story about this. Uh, so in our group, we were talking about um, a little bit different topic, but how even women are kind of conditioned, socially conditioned to uh, seek comfort and safety from men. Um, and so there was a woman at our table saying that she felt more comfortable when there was a male pilot flying her plane when she flies. Um, and we started talking about that a little bit and everybody was referencing, particularly myself, was referencing pilots by saying the guys in the cockpit um, with the assumption that they are men in the cockpit. 
Um, and so I think pilot is historically a male dominated career path, but, um, even in our discussion, the, the, the language we were using was the guys in the cockpit. And then we'd catch ourselves and try to say the people in the cockpit, whoever they are, the <laughs> ladies or the humans in the cockpit, but everybody <laughs> initially at least was, oh, it's the guys in the cockpit. Yeah. You know, They're, and I, I just read an article too about how, you know, uh, there's been a lot of progress made in terms of, uh in a lot of industries, making it more easier for women to take maternity leave and it's becoming a more family-friendly environment in American workforce, but that actually the pilots' union uh, is try has uh, said things that kind of are pressuring women to say, well, we why should you get maternity leave? I mean, it seems like well, it sounded like they were a little behind in that, more so than I would have expected. Yeah. So it's still male-dominated. Yeah. Yeah, and at least what came to my mind when you were talking about that is um, when I think of flight attendants, I think of a woman. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a male pilot. Well, that's the guy that, like, has control, right? Like, that's the person that is taking care of it, um, but who's, you know, doing all, like, the nurturing and tending his son's needs and running at people's beck and call, and it would be a flight attendant, and I think most people think of that as a woman. At least I did. Maybe I'm really messed up, but that's probably what comes to most people. There's the weird, like, vibe that you get from, like, 70s air travel of the stewardesses and the heavily mustached pilots, and it's creepy. (laughs) I was going to say pastor because growing up, only men were pastors. Thank God that's changed. But um, you know what? We're drinking beer, and now I'm realizing that I don't know any women who are brewers. So now the brewing industry is pretty much male-dominated. I heard coffee roasters the same way male-dominated from someone at my table. Um, in my industry, uh, bankers, investors, developers are, are more often male, um, more often white. We had two women at our table, and they work in software design and software engineering. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our conversation revolved because there's so much... Uh, oh, there's a kidney meowing. There's so much going on right now in the tech world about um, you know, lack of equality in, in that industry for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're really pushing it because they're um, have an interest in that, and there's uh, quite a bit more scholarships because they're kind of begging for women to kind of uh, come into that field and, and give it a better image. Um, but yeah, I, I also think um, at least in the legal field as well, there's um, most uh, majority of paralegals are women, and um, most of the names of attorneys I come across. Our, uh, our men, so uh, I think that's also a field that, of course, is changing little by little, but um, mostly male-dominated. It's funny, these girls at our table that were, or these women at our table that were, that's another probably yes, sexist bias, isn't it? Saying yeah. girls? Saying girls instead yeah. of saying women. Like we the, especially we, saw that in the Olympics. Yeah, the, the girls' American the girls. soccer team mm-hmm. win every other, you know, it's yeah, men's I mean, soccer. Men's, yeah. Dude, I don't know, I still go to the little boys' room. <laughs> I don't know. That's a personal Guys trait. and girls, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But men and men and girls, that's yeah, you hear yeah. that a lot. Yeah. But these women at our table, um, they said that they would never have a problem getting a job in the tech industry, but will always have a problem being respected in the tech industry. Yeah. So like there is that that push as a whole to be more inclusive, but mm-hmm. the culture around it is lacking like lagging so far behind. Yeah, it's true. Somebody I know in my family is a physician, and I'm not going to mention the name. Some of you <laughs> may, may know this person. 
keeping it safe. So obviously, you know, the medical industry, the whole profession is changing, and so you're getting a lot of almost 50-50, and sometimes more women. But this person that I know, when they go into a room with their white coat, with credentials professional, the patient will ask to see a doctor. And this person will say, well, sir, you have seen doctors all day, and I'm one of them. And what this, what the patient, you know, is really asking is like, can you, can you bring a man in? So then, this person that I know will actually bring in an intern, somebody younger at times, not even at that level, and the patient will feel comfortable. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's 21st century, Denver, Colorado. That's kind of scary. So progressive, man. So progressive. Progressive. So sometimes what you've heard in answering this question happens at the table as well, that we kind of work our way into the next question that's on our sheet. And um, where we were headed was where places in culture where you see active gender bias against women, where do you see implied bias against women, and where have you witnessed this kind of bias? And so we've already talked about some of those things already. Um, in tech, definitely, where we see this is the active bias is changing a little bit as more and more women and minorities are wanted at the table. But the implied bias happens in terms of promotions, opportunities, um, you know, money and pay. All of those things can be a negative for women, and they can really see barriers to that, even in a setting where uh, they may be in a company that really wants them there. And so, uh, does anyone else have one more you want to add in before we jump into the election? Well, I, I do. I do want to. I want to stay here for a, a sec because Janelle and I both have been in ministry, both pastors, and so my experience and your experience is very similar. Although probably my heritage was like no women preaching, whereas your heritage said they 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 can they could. I mean, and they're, they said we could. Yeah, they said. <laughs> But so then you get to a place where let's say you're at a moderate evangelical church with maybe some of our listeners are in that heritage and still practicing there. And so then you have a male-dominated staff, pastors. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a, a woman on staff or maybe in the, typically in the children's ministry, and then they're the director. Yep. Right. And, but if you look at how they work, how driven they are, and how they what we would call shepherd – Right? How they pastor. They're actually legitimate pastors taking care of people, children, adults, families, but they're still given the word director. Right. So can you speak into that theologically and then practically? Well, I think theologically the foundation of that is a misunderstanding of the text, and a lot of that has to do with cultural context. Um, and if you want to know more about this, just uh, put it in Google. You'll find all kinds mm-hmm. of interesting theories on this, but... Uh, It's often rooted in creation, and many people understand that what the text says is that when we first had sin, that we were punished and we were um, given a a mandate by God that there would be this controversy between us and that it was was the only way we could function. But that's actually incorrect. Um, God was saying uh, that because you've sinned, this is how things, how you're going to experience the world. That doesn't mean that he wanted it that like a way. a natural consequence. Right, a natural consequence. And so when we look at the world in, in a post-Christ world, a resurrection world, those things are erased. I mean, to be really honest, we are restored to be the full image of God in all ways. And that means equality with men and women. Uh, the other thing that we see is interpretations of Paul. And what we have to recognize in that is that Paul was talking to a culture that had cults in which 
women and men were using their power in negative ways. And as they became Christians and came into the Christian church, some of those patterns of behavior continued. And so he said it inelegantly when he blamed women for it. Um, But we must understand that context. We can't just, it's not an absolute, it's not a cultural for all time exclusion. It was dealing with a certain situation in those churches. And so, yeah. And and I I always found that like, you know, somebody who came from a tradition where we wouldn't let women preach per se or become senior pastors or even have the title pastor. But then that was my first big thing of like, why? You know, and I'm yep. questioning this. And so that was my shift away from, from my heritage. And I remember reading the Gospels and falling in love with this rabbi named Jesus. And I'm seeing this real, real radical sage who's allowing women in the first century to sit at his feet, and which was a rabbinical way of like, you're a student, you're a disciple, you're actually following this rabbi, which would have been pretty revolutionary in the first century. Yep. Not many rabbis back then would let women follow them. And so here you have Jesus he's teaching women, yep. but not in a teacher-student setting. Like, no, come and follow me yep. because you can be like me. And but, he would eat with them, yep. and he would drink with them, and he would allow them to touch him. Yep. And he would he would take care of them. And the radicalness of Christ in that setting is one that elevates women to equality as humans. Um, and we really, I mean, we just have to deal with that reality that when we see Jesus didn't say these things. Jesus treated women as equals. Mm-hmm. Out to make a point yeah. in his culture that they are to come with and be part of humanity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the church has to realize that. And as patriarchy continues to grow in American evangelicalism, uh, the voices that are saying that's incorrect are going to have to be louder um, and speak up for the wholeness of womanhood. Amen. Yeah. There we go. And there's, can I add one thing to that? Yes. There's like other movements also like in Judaism in Judaism right now there's a huge movement um, particularly by one group called women of the wall that are that are yeah. pushing for a um, at the at the the wailing wall or the kotel, whatever you want to call it um, in Jerusalem uh, they are pushing for a side where men and women can both pray together but in a lot of traditional um, Jewish settings in the synagogues even at the wall um, they have something called the which divides the men and women and so um, they're pushing for that, and the state has backed it and taken it back. So it's causing controversy, but people are fighting. Yeah, it, seems, fighting. Yeah, it seems, too, like a lot of sometimes the controversy around eliminating gender bias also stems around a controversy of whose interpretation of this religion is correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Is it, yeah. in, in Israel, I know it's a big deal. Like, is it is it the ultra-Orthodox folks, or is it the Reformed folks? And, you know, in America, mm-hmm. it's, it's which form of Christianity is the right, quote-unquote, yeah, right. Christianity, mm-hmm. which interpretation is the right Who's got the license licensure yeah. to God in the Bible? Right. Yeah. yeah. So it goes. So, so we'll move on from religion because I know we got to get political. Yeah. yeah. But I will say here's here's a shameless plug because I like to plug things. October twenty seventh, we're gonna have a female, a woman, Muslim, speak to our group at Denver Pub Theology. So mark your calendar Thursday, October twenty seventh. Which that'll that'll be pretty fun. Yeah. That'll be super exciting. Yeah. I can make a segue to politics. If- Yes, to do because one question I asked at our table last week, which I was trying to be a little provocative, was to ask the question: you know, if um, if um, if you looked at a culture overseas that was uh, had very particular attributes and um, it was maybe a more isolated culture, um, very specific way of dressing, a very specific um, way of being that was different from a lot of other cultures, and that culture had a uh, 
misogynistic or uh, patriarchal or uh, anti-woman stance inside of it, you would say, well, um, well, gosh, you know, wouldn't we want to preserve that that tiny endangered culture, and wouldn't we want to keep it just as it is, and wouldn't we, if we were to encounter this culture, wouldn't we want to not push our values onto the sacred culture? But the but it's interesting because you know, if I ask the question, um, well, why should we? change patriarchy. It's part of American culture. It's inherent to American culture and how we were all brought up. You know, I think that's, um, you know, why, why, why would we want to change it? I mean, it's part of who we are. But actually, let me just say this, because I think part of the controversy around, um, around this is the fact that I think a lot of us in America subscribe to um, a, a cultural value that is progressive. Now, I don't mean progressive politically necessarily, but I just mean that new trumps the old. Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that you know we're always looking for the newer and better thing and so um, and, and we're always looking to reform our culture and you know if, if things become tyrannical we're allowed to disband them I mean that is part of our American culture and so the question sort of like when we had our theocracy discussion is what comes first your ingrained unquestioned cultural beliefs or do you look towards that US Constitution and that you know that that gave this guide t towards who we are as Americans and I think that that often um, so that's that's always interesting which is it and same thing with your religion which, which comes first Constitution or religion so yeah. I think it's interesting in this culture because going back to your like you know South Pacific Island that has yeah. never been touched um, there are a lot of people here in, in our culture that see how it is and do not want to change it. That have a mm -hmm. um, they do you know, link life change to the culture. Yeah, they and they they believe that it's um, and you, there's stuff about our culture that I think is good that I don't particularly want to see changed. Sexism isn't one of them, but um, so I, I do. It is hard because you when somebody has an opinion, in their mind, they're right and you're wrong. And in my mind, I'm right and they're wrong. Um, and so it, it becomes a stickier situation than like progress. You know, moving forward on a, especially when it's cultural, you can move forward and have progress on a scientific or a quantitative level, but on a qualitative or cultural level, progress, you know, depending on who you're talking to is going in a 180 degree different direction. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that's difficult. I think it's really complicated, and I think that if we were looking like specifically at America, one thing we can say is that there, for a lot of people, there's an agreement there. The Constitution gives right. women full rights right. to be their own people, and for many, many, many Christians, women are equal. We are all men and women made in the image of God and uh, represent him to the world around us and uh, all have the rights and opportunities that are given in that creation. And... So those two things in that case line up. But then there are also the fringes that say, no, it needs to look like 1950s America, which last I checked, Jesus wasn't here then, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but I think for me, especially as a Christian that is trying to make sense of the world, um, it has a lot more to do with what does it mean to be about bringing new creation into the world? What does it mean that God is restoring us to the image that he had for us in the beginning and that was inequality. Um, he created the Adam, which was Adam, and the Adam, which was Eve. Mm -hmm. And they were both Adam. They were both human, and they were both good. And they are two partners that face each other as equals. And so I think that 
with, with our politics here. And then also when looking at the Bible and, and actually reading what it says in its original languages, we find that equality is what we should be striving for. Yeah, so you get people up on the political platform and people espousing religion as part of their political platform, and you say, well, it just depends on who... What, what are you subscribing to? Which culture are you really yeah. subscribing to here? Yeah. Because you, there's real justification for equality mm-hmm. in both instances. Which America do you live in? Which Christianity do you practice? Mm-hmm. And I think we, we see this call all across the spectrum. We see it in Catholic nuns that are calling for equality. We yeah. see it in mainline and uh, Protestant Christians. We see it in Mormonism, a call for equality and the right to the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have a lot of uh, visibility to some of the other traditions that are here, but I know that we see Muslim women here that are are free to make choices about how they dress and how they live. Um, and, And sometimes that means they do choose to wear a hijab, but it's because they're choosing to and they're allowed to do that. And so I think we have a, a space where that equality is within our grasp if we're willing to, to live into it. So you mentioned clothes. So we're going to make this about Hillary because people tend to talk about her clothes. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So let's talk about Hillary, guys. Yeah, I mean, okay. she's like the elephant in the room, but let's, let's talk about her. Okay. What do you guys think about the election this year? Regardless of what you think about her politics and her policies and just – you know, people call her crooked Hillary, this and that. I'm put all if you can if you can try to put all that aside, it doesn't matter if you're right or left, is there sexism when it comes to voting for Hillary? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think I so we had three yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking about the yeah. We had three three yes and the two of us I asked the question so I can't say yet. I'm gonna open another beer for this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, you're first, Alex. Well, so I, there, there's certainly sexism just in the comments you hear of, um, I mean, we can go there now, but people talking about, which is outrageous because she's, what, almost 70 years old, but, like, people talking about how a woman can't be president because there's a time of the month where she's unrealistic or, unru- you know, <laughs> yeah, all of this like, ridiculous stuff oh. and people... Like, I haven't heard that uh, one. What? You oh, heard what? That? You haven't heard that? They're oh, like, no. oh, all war's going to break out. At that, yeah, like, like once a month, they'll drop a nuke. Like, yeah. it's ridiculous. Um, oh, man. Like, clearly it's people who don't have an understanding of human Isn't the current but, one, like, the current issue is, like, her health is making her weak, and she's going to be too weak and, and helpless to do the job because her health is just going to betray her. That's, that's, that's a new one to. that's ramping up right now, yeah. and that is such a, that's such a trope. Yeah. Of the feminine. Yeah. Because we had other presidents that were in wheelchairs and in... <laughs> polio. Yeah, polio and all of this kind of stuff that... Um, so, yeah, I think there is certain, certainly rampant sexism in certain... Uh, in, a, in a lot of avenues. But I also... So I am, am voting for Hillary. That is what is going to happen unless Bernie comes back on. But... Uh, <laughs> but uh, I also... I do feel the need to be able to critique my leaders. And so I have on occasion critiqued Hillary and some of her policy or some of her actions. And I am instantly, so I'm playing devil's advocate here because this might not be popular, but I'm instantly attacked for being sexist. Um, right. And so I think, I think particularly when we're talking about somebody who is leading us, if we don't have the, you know, any, 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 any powerful figure or powerful system that becomes beyond critique 
becomes too powerful. Right. Um, and I don't think Hillary is there. I think we can critique her, but there are very ardent supporters that will not allow you to, like, won't, won't engage in a conversation about her flaws right. because she's human, so she has them. I think, um, I think what you said is so critical for us to keep in mind here. It's okay to critique policy. Policy is the thing that we should be critiquing. It's when we start throwing around things like irrational and insane right. and narcissistic when they're not true that, so, that I mean, that, that's attacking the person and, and putting labels on that, that don't necessarily belong. I agree, but I would say those things about Trump. Oh, I was well, going to bring I, that I up, too. Can, yeah. I, can I say them about Trump, and is that okay? But for a but, man, those labels are fine. Call me a narcissistic. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm successful. But when I start, when we start labeling those things, I, I think the way I've seen them labeled is that they're being used as mud and and bullets, you know, like, I'm going to label you with this so I have something against you. And for a woman, I mean, we all have a certain word that comes to mind when a woman is strong and uses a strong voice and says something firmly. Um, but then you say those same things about a man, and it's rewarded. And that's the sexism right there. I agree. I completely agree. And then lately you had to flip this, because I'm, I'm actually going to piggyback up what you were saying. These statues that came out this past week with Donald Trump and yep. the micro penis, and so then there's the body shaming of men. Where I mean, I think in a way, like there, there's an element of that that I think you could say, like we, we're using both sort of both sides are doing the same thing. I mean, that I, it's funny a little bit, but I go, is it really though? I mean, what are we really teaching each other, humanity, right. our children, Absolutely. when we do that? Well, we, the yeah. manhood yes. is, is tied to the size of your penis, exactly. which is actually inherently sexist, also. Inherently, yeah. 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 In, but also, to be fair, I mean, didn't Trump kind of start this a few months ago with those comments? I think it was against yeah, Marco Rubio. So quite honestly, I mean, he, he threw himself in that quarter. But it tends to be then this fight, this sexist fight, and now we're back to the same old struggle that we've always been. Yeah, like but, what's fair to do to... But at the root of this and where this conversation, the unconscious bias, is that for women, these things are inherent in the conversation. It's not... You're at a disadvantage up front. Um, and so you, you might throw the same words back and forth, but as a culture, they mean different yeah. things yeah, that's um, to the hero. Yeah. And, I, and I would agree with you. I, I think that, you know, the Trump thing, I just use that as an example. But somebody had asked me, at what point does feminism become like fundamentalism? And I mean fundamentalism in the sense of the stereotypical, just we're going to blanket that statement. The bigoted, yeah. narrow-minded, and then I, 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 you know, I listened to that question, but I thought feminism has to remain uh, a thing, a progressive. Like we should, we should be advocates because it's, it's still, it's this minority, right? right. So same with Black Lives Matter. Same, and as, and as a white male, middle, middle, you know, middle, age, middle age now, I guess so. Approaching that, oh. you know, educated, <laughs> this and that. Like I've never understood the, the other because I'm not that. And I think it, until, again, we get this equal playing field, I think that, yeah, um, yeah I, th there is some um, unfairness going on. I think so, too. I yeah. think, I mean, of course, any any political movement, any social movement can become fundamentalist, but it seems like you got to get through the, you know, the ability to see something as, you know, as, as threatening to be able to then critique it as being fundamentalist. And I don't think we're there. You know, I don't think we're in such a place where it's like, you know, oh, everything's fine, and then there's some people who have taken feminism to be um, harmfully radicalized, and I don't think we're in that place. I think, you know, any knee-jerk reaction is, um, 
is probably still coming from a place of uh, backlash mm -hmm. against changes that people are trying to implement out of, you know, trying to rectify hurt and fear and trauma and yeah. inequality, structural, institutional inequality. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So no matter where we admit, where you, the listener, land on this issue, uh, the one thing that we are kind of called to do is to fight this bias, whatever that is. And so let's just take a few minutes to talk about what we can do to be aware of bias and how do we fight it? How do we um, fight these kinds of things that we see going on around us, whether that's at home or at school or at work or in church or your religious paradigm, whatever that is? How do we bring these bias issues to the surface and how do we walk with people through them to change them? Yeah, I have the same question. Like, yeah. where, where are the, you know, how... how how far out into your sphere of influence do you feel like you could yeah. conceivably try to influence the change bias? I mean, is it is it within yourself only? Is it within your family? Family situation is interesting because it seems like that's the common answer, right? Like, influence the people, influence people in your immediate, you know, people who respect you, people who like you, people who you live with every day. Yeah. That's who you have influence over. But actually, when we were discussing stories around the table last time, it seemed like sometimes that's the hardest place. Yeah. To change, Absolutely. if uh, you know, if if your dad, you know, always, you know, did X, Y, and Z is for the family, and even though you, as his daughter, might be better at X, Y, and Z activities, and yet he still always insists that he has to do it because it's kind of a more manly role. That's very hard to influence. Yeah, yeah. I'll just throw that. Out there. Yeah, I, I think, um, children are our future, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. But starting with kids, starting with education, and starting with um, using your, uh, I do not have children, but when I do have kids, if I have a daughter, you know, you can tell them they're beautiful, but as much you need to tell them that they're smart and that they're capable and that they're hardworking, hardworking and all of those things that, yeah. that historically boys were told, um, because all of those are true about, about our young girls too, and I think that at least in terms of a better future for our kids, will be one of the bigger things that I think we can do to, to address this. Then the other thing is, is just the vernacular that we use. Like, I need to stop saying you guys. I need to start saying you people or you, you all or, you know. Although yeah. I might argue that sometimes, uh, I don't know, there's a certain point where I feel like there's, there's more effective ways of creating change than... You guys yeah. as being somewhat innocuous. I, think, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I acknowledge I think it's that more, effort, but yeah. more like to help myself ah, remember. Yeah. So it's not to change you guys so much as it is to for me to be like <laughs> you people. Yeah, to you change you, you guys. You people. Uh, <laughs> it happens. It's not to change you people. You people. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, but it, it's it's more of an internal thing. I need to remember that I'm talking yeah, to. That's fair. Yeah. So, yeah. So when it speaks to the next next generation, like you're talking about, of course, I'm thinking about my daughter and. You people, <laughs> you've met her. She's almost four, and I realize that she's already asking me, "Daddy, am I beautiful?" And, and what she, you know, she's got this princess culture. That she's, it's just, you know, and we 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 go with that because that's what she wants to do right now, and it's fine. But I say, yes, you're beautiful, but you're always beautiful, and you're always smart, and you're always. And so I try to make it this whole thing because for some reason the culture's already like that's what matters at this young age. And so let, let me go back though. Uh, when my daughter was born, I have a buddy of mine who challenges me because I am a professed egalitarian, have been for about 18 years now. And egalitarian simply means that women and men are equal and have the same gifts equally. And so you sort of 
you, you mutually sort of do this thing called life together. And it's not like one has one role and one has the other. Oh, like in a marriage. Yeah, yeah so like my, my wife and I are egalitarian in our marriage. Whatever I'm good at, I do, and, you know, and vice versa. So, but my buddy calls me and he says, hey, when's the last time you read a female author? And immediately I go, oh, S-H-I-T. <laughs> I, I'm spelling because yeah, I'm used to that with my daughter, and, and I, I'm realizing like I, I don't read women authors, and then it got me to the point of this unconscious bias of I don't I don't read like black authors and Hispanic authors. I read yeah, right. white middle class Brian McLaren like that's that was sort of, yes yeah. yeah and even all these white theologians of the 20th century. That's 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 all you had to read. Huh. So then I I was like all right I gotta start listening to women podcasts and read you know books from female authors and this and that. But for me, this, this topic, and I'm going to finish because we have two more people who are going to end on this. Uh, this is important because, and, I'm, and now I will, I will recognize I am biased because I have a daughter who's almost four and I have a daughter on the way. And so I, when somebody says, well, how is this topic relevant? I'm like, like come on, like, I've, got, I've got girls. Like, I, it's very relevant. And so I have to be the ally. I have to be the advocate. I have to say until they get this full equal opportunity mm-hmm. And aren't judged and stereotyped in these ways. Like I'm, I will fight for them. And so, even in like Denver Pup Theology, and you know, Janelle and Liz, you are both moderators. And if we're having a small remix night, I would rather have you lead, just because there's that unconscious bias of like the people who are there probably assume, well, Ryan will probably lead. But no, like now, I think they're getting to a point where, no, Janelle, Liz, anybody can lead, and that's what we want to do. Yep. I'm gonna quit preaching. Yeah. No soapboxes, right? Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> Preach to the choir. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. And I and I also think um, just, just like actually making some noise. Um, and that can seem so pejorative, too. It's like, oh, you know, feminists, you want attention and all these things. I mean, that's kind of what I thought for a while, too, that even that label just is so pejorative to p- place on people sometimes, the way it's perceived. Um, but making some noise about it um, and doing it appropriately um, there are, I mean, just, just for an example, I mean, this is what I know. And, um, there's a big push about in like 2013, um, by a group of women called ordained women in, in the Mormon or LDS, um, sphere, um, in Utah. And it was a huge push because they were asking for the priesthood, which is the right to act in God's name. And so um, all they did was ask these church leaders who are claimed as apostles and a prophet um, who get revelation from, um, from God um, according to the doctrine, um, they just asked them to pray about it. Not even, oh, give us this now. It was, oh, please, you know, things are brought about, change is brought about by people asking. You know, you look in, in the scriptures and people pray for things, and that's how things can change. And so all they wanted were these leaders to pray, and it was, no, you know, this is, this is not, this isn't correct. This is not how it is. Um, in such a religion that's based off of modern revelation, it was seen as blasphemy, and, and a lot of, and one of the main leaders was actually excommunicated for it. And so I think it goes back to this whole comfort setting. Well, what do we know? We know male leaders. We know male prophets. And um, I remember the first time meeting a woman while I was living in Utah that actually said she was more comfortable praying to God and viewing God as a female, and I had never thought of that being even an option. Not that it didn't seem right. I was just, oh, wow, that can be something for someone, you know? Putting this information and this uh, option out there to even just listen, um, I think, will bring about change, making people comfortable with just learning about it 
and being able to listen, I think that's how we can truly do it because then people can choose. Do I want to learn more? And when they choose, they can become passionate about it. And I found that that was a big uh, piece for me was when people would come against me in the church was to recognize that some people are never probably going to change. But the ones that had curiosity and willingness, those are the ones that I can engage with on a personal basis and talk to and do my best in front of and see that God will move and change their minds. And, and the other thing we need to do, always need to do, is when we're seeing something, someone being biased against is to stand up on their behalf, no matter what our tradition is, is that we're good humans to each other. And if I see someone being hurt, then I need to stand up with them. For sure. um, and so I just want to encourage you all out there as we uh, look at bias, and especially in this busy season of our world, uh, that you just be aware of not hurting each other and uh, yeah. not soapboxing and uh, finding ways to agree to disagree, but to move us forward in the discussion. Good stuff. Thank you, guys. People, women, men, <laughs> and, <laughs> and gender, all of that, all of that. Gender neutral, uh, gender queer individual. Yeah. So, thank everyone for listening and for these lovely people around me for sharing their thoughts and their hearts. And so, I just want to let the listeners know as well that we meet every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. You can find us on Meetup. Denver Pub Theology, just hashtag that. We're on Twitter, Denver Pub Theo, Instagram, Denver Pub Theology, and Facebook, Denver Pub Theology. In addition to that, there is an alliance that's being formed called Brew Theology. And so we're going to get the word out about that. You can find that on Facebook, also Instagram, and Twitter. That is Brew Theology. All right, everybody. Peace. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.